0: to utilize our voice as a community, as we did during this election, to make sure that the awakened Latino is up and rising to vote, to really make sure our voices are not only being heard, but being put into action.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Café con Leadership, where we talk to leaders about leadership so we all become better leaders. I'm your host, Sandra Noemi, and I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please give it a like and please subscribe. Today's guest, I have Frank Calvajal. Welcome, Frank.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here on a Friday. I'm uh, very excited and I would love uh, Café con Leadership. I love the, the branding of your, your show.
1: Thank you so much, I appreciate that. I'm so excited for today and I feel so blessed to have you on because you are the perfect guest uh, to have on this show. I wanna give the audience a little bit about your background before we get into it. Uh, sure. For those of you that don't know, Frank Carvajal is the founder and president of Es the Silicon Valley Latino Leadership Summit, and the author of Building the Latino Future, Success Stories for the Next Generation. A, an inspiring collection of stories from the most prominent Latinos across the country. Uh, Frank also advises many diversity and inclusion teams across Silicon Valley and beyond, and he holds an MA with an emphasis on human resource manage- management, and Frank sits on the advocacy board for the Silicon Valley Education Foundation. And that's a mouthful, but there's still so much more. welcome Frank
0: (laughs) well thank you thank you and thank you for that introduction so people could just call me Frank you know with with titles and everything else I think uh, what's important is action action of what we do you know I I think introductions are great and all but what's more important is taking action as a person so as Frank or as my mom used to call me Frankie
1: Frankie, I love it. I love it. Frank, I want to know, I want to get right into some thoughts from you because you have so many nuggets that you could offer our listeners. Um, I want to know, let's, you know, you've interviewed some fascinating Latinos and you yourself are a Latino. What do you find um, was probably one of the most common um, or were there, was there anything common amongst the experiences?
0: Yeah, so, so that's a great question. So what I really looked for, uh, Sandra, is what I call the common thread, the common thread of what we all share and the similarities and things that uh, we all, at the end of the day, strive for. And what I found most important as far as that experience was our parents or our grandparents that made the sacrifices as immigrants to have a better life for us, strive for that American dream. And through that, the equalizer is an education. So everyone I interviewed had that common thread of striving for an education, whether it's a first generation or second generation to be that person, to, to make their parents and grandparents or padrinos, madrinas really proud because that was really the creation of the foundation based on the book, so so it was education.
1: Wow, that's um that's interesting. Um, with so much diversity in our country, and there's a lot of people that really don't have access to a lot of quality education. I had this conversation last week uh, with another guest, um, and how this, just the way that the system is right now, it doesn't allow for, you know, it's really just a money machine. It's not something that really caters to the individual students. How do you feel like what, students can do when they don't have that support around them when they don't have a family that encourages education and more um you know they just don't have that support
0: well you know it's interesting because a lot of the parents or grandparents because you know a lot of family or friends were raised by their grandparents but i was very fortunate to be raised by both my mom and dad and your question is very interesting because In my experience, my parents, immigrants from Mexico, they only attained a third grade education because their experience was uh, through a Bracero program. And it's not that they didn't want to uh, have education as a priority. They really wanted was to make sure that we weren't going to uh, hit these roadblocks of the systematic uh, racism that uh, was back then and still exists today. And that systematic racism is really in embedded in across the nation and a lot of the public schools. And the public schools and access to great education, unfortunately, isn't happening within um, many barrios, many uh, communities throughout the nation. And why that is, is because uh, we need a better government, we need better school boards to run and equalize a playing field, for the Latino kids, the Latinx kids. And so it's more of fear from the parents that their kids are going to fail. They don't want to see their kids fail and hurt because it was painful enough for many immigrants through that journey to get to the United States. So it's, it's more of fear, but as resilient as we are, we have to reassure our parents that we're going to have that same resiliency as they did as immigrants. But at the same time, we have to utilize our voice as a community, as we did during this election, to make sure that the awakened Latino is up and rising to vote, to really make sure our voices are not only being heard, but being put into action. So really through galvanizing and reassuring our parents that we're gonna fight just as they did to get to this country
1: i love that i you know i believe that latino blood is a warrior's blood like we all have this fighter spirit within us yes. um something i heard recently um and it was i think america ferrera that said it in a ted talk um about systemic racism and about uh feeling this um even as she was she was telling a story how she was going after auditions and she was feeling less valued like they were asking her to play stereotypical uh roles of a latina and she started you know really pondering on this and you know why why you know, the world sees me as less valuable. How can I change that when I've convinced myself of the same thing, you know, when the world around you sees you less? And I think that is what I call part of cultural baggage that we as a community have to deal with, that there's a lot of internal work because we feel this way. We think, okay, you know, I'm going to push forward. I got this, I can go forward. But at the same time, there's a part of us that almost is stuck in believing that as well.
0: Well, yeah, you know, the I like to call it the mindset to mind shift. We create a mindset every morning to do better, but we have to transform that to a mind shift and take action. And I think what uh, America Ferrer said on the TED, I, I listened to that. I think it's also uh, goes a little deeper in terms of the narrative uh, with novelas, telenovelas. Those have to be changed in terms of colorism, colorism. Of uh, you know the, the blanco to the more moreno, embracing the moreno in all of us. You know, I have um, I have a tag that's uh, hashtag embrace brown lives because I really believe that uh, our migrant farm workers. Uh, why can't we showcase a novella based on migrant farm workers versus you know the beauty that is perceived in the general public? as they see, that's already segregating classes, segregating colors. And within our community as Latinos, we are very diverse, but we need unity. We need to unify as brown, light skin. And as you can see in the cover of my book, there are various colors of moreno to uh, blanco to uh, brown, and it's important. And that's why I selected that because I felt that it was important to not discriminate against colors and colorism is is very relevant in terms of novelas but that needs to be changed and that's how we change the narrative challenge the producers challenge the executive producers and for them it's you know ratings and ratings you know could only go so far because we need to utilize our voice to change that narrative
1: yeah, yeah. Or become the producers and become the directors, you know?
0: <laughs> well, well, I'm glad you mentioned that. I just met with a team yesterday and God willing, I'm working on something that uh, will uh, be about that narrative as one of the producers.
1: That's so awesome. That is great.
0: Yeah. And I've never done that before. And I think that's the challenge is we have to step out of our comfort zone as Latinos, just as our parents or grandparents did and stepping out of the biggest comfort zone, leaving a country that they're very comfortable with to come to a very, I would say, intimidating United States of America. But it's not as intimidating when we come together. Strength in numbers, for sure.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, I think there's a lot of education that's wrapped around that. Um, now, you tell us about Estiempo.
0: So Estiempo, I really am uh, grateful to my dad, and dedicate not only Estiempo to building legacy, but honoring my dad. I remember in about 2000 and 2001, I was reading the San Jose Mercury newspaper, and it's a local paper in the Silicon Valley, and I continued from. Fifth grade. When I was in fifth grade, I was a paper boy, so I was always that chavalito that would always be curious of why there's negative portrayal, negative stories on Latinos, Latinas, Latinos, early gang entrance and and juvenile hall detention and these stories of you know early teen pregnancy and then just making the highlights right. And as I grew up and being the first generation graduate, I felt compelled. To think about writing a book, it just, it starts as a thought. And with that thought, you have to put it into action. But I remember around um, my dad saying, Papa, quiero escribir un libro. I want to write a book. And my dad says, "Was well, Mijo es tiempo. And I said, wow, that's awesome. And I at that time, I also wanted to create a business. So it didn't start as an LLC. It started as a sole proprietorship. And when I started uh, Es Tiempo, I Registered the name, and then in 2007, I put an LLC together as a formal business. So it was through the inspiring words of my dad.
1: Awesome. And what do you do at Estiempo? Tell us what that what that.
0: Yeah. So I, I do leadership development, and what I do is, I put together the uh, the platform of the Silicon Valley Latino Leadership Summit. So Estiempo oversees the Silicon Valley Latino Leadership Summit. As a platform to work with employee resource groups, diversity groups, and really engage leaders within companies and or smaller organizations to have that um, drive to recruit and retain Latinos within their organizations. And through that, how I how I envisioned it at the summit was bringing thought leaders together so that they could connect with one another and also with Estiempo, It provides the consulting and the leadership uh, component for uh, companies or small businesses.
1: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think we need more of that. I mean, that's, that's such a, that's something I think we're like, as professionals and, and entrepreneurs and business owners, we're fighting for is that education to, to spread to more, you know, because the more that of us that are educated and have that access to that, the more that we can really advance the community. I mean, 32 million were eligible to vote. I still don't know the final numbers of what what was the outcome of that, of how many we actually voted. But just in reference into our power and our position um, here.
0: Yes, most definitely, most yeah. definitely. So 30 32 million. That's a large number.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, in your book, you got you interviewed several um, politicians, no the elected yes. officials.
0: Yes, I did, and I, you know, I wanted to uh, make sure that I interviewed folks from both sides of the party. Whether it was folks that worked for uh, President Bush, or folks who had worked early on for uh, President Jimmy Carter to Ronald Reagan, it was important for me because, for me, uh, I'm a moderate and I'm very in the middle, and I always look at who the best leader is. And uh, for me, it was it was important to choose from both sides of the aisle because it was about um, profiling individuals that are seen as role models, not only role models, but uh, being pioneers. Uh, For example, Hector Barreto being uh, the SBA for President Bush. And then on the other side of the aisle, who's a mentor of mine, Aida Alvarez, who was the SBA for President Clinton. And, And I think it's important that Latinas and Latinos see that it's okay to uh, to follow a role model that is within their party, and uh, and I wanted to showcase both.
1: Definitely, definitely, I'm such an advocate for making sure that we engage more of the Latino population to not just vote, but even attempt to run. You know, in many in many instances. Yeah. Um did they discuss anything about just kind of that journey and maybe obstacles that they've had to overcome with running or have you, you know, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, uh, the obstacle was raising money and raising money. I think that's where we are uh, philanthropists in terms of, you know, our belief system. I'm a Catholic. So, you know, the philanthropy is within, you know, going to church, but in terms of raising uh, large proportions of money, it was um it wasn't that they said it was a it was an obstacle but you had to work twice as hard yeah and I I think that's one of the things in our community as you had mentioned um, in the backstage of you know brown skin if we show up in a boardroom with brown skin we have to show twice the effort and that's sh- that shouldn't be the case and I think that's part of the you know the systematic racism that we challenged with. And so with with our voice and our intellect, it really should be the level playing field with just that in its own. But when it comes to skin color, I think, uh, you know, pushing twice as hard for fundraising was one of the obstacles.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I just took a program recently, um, a Women on the Run program, and that's definitely one of the um, the hardest things, you know, and, and especially it was the group that I was in is is a black and brown group. You know, it's really geared to uh, put more of us in uh, political or elected positions. Not that I'm considering running, but I'm cons- I'm I'm all about supporting and learning the process so that I can help others right. uh, as much as I can. Um, so yeah, I, c- I can absolutely um, see that being one of the biggest challenges and and working you know twice as hard to even get the same amount of funds um, if you can even get the same amount of funds. Um, but um, so one thing that I like that I've seen and noticed you do like on LinkedIn is this, uh, during Hispanic Heritage Month, right? We celebrate Latinos once a month, right? Once a, one month out of the year is like this uh, celebration that we do um, and where we all come together. And you started with this hashtag, this 365 Latino, that we shouldn't have one month. We shouldn't be looking for one month to honor and celebrate Hispanics that have done something meaningful. But it's about a year-long education process, and one thing that i um, kind of always bothers me is, even in the education system, we don't know Latino history. We're taught American history. So even our, you know, our when you're coming here from another country, or even me, I'm Puerto Rico. You know, we I, I was I grew up in New Jersey, um, and still there was just a lot of history that I didn't know. You know, I didn't I didn't learn about that growing up in school. I had to research that on my own and really go seek that out. There are a lot of of Latinos and individuals, whatever community or culture that you're from, because I think this is applicable to all cultures, is the understanding of our own history. You know, sometimes we just feel that something is different about us. We need to kind of put pieces together. I feel like we all feel like we're scattered almost all over the place. We don't really have an identity where we know you know what really happened um and there's a lot of wonderful books i think there was a great um uh leguizamo um did you oh, yeah. That? yeah that play that was i was so emotional yeah you know? yes
0: yes the history he he's very smart on on breaking it down and uh and capturing you know some facts that really are relevant to uh today's education and the lack of education within our Uh, communities across the board, whether it's uh, Mexican, Puerto Rican, Dominican, uh, Colombiano, uh, whatever it may be, we're lacking that in the public school education. That's what I had mentioned earlier on, is we need uh, representation on the school boards to challenge not only the narrative, but create uh, curriculum that really is about the representation in the classroom. When you had mentioned in the introduction, when I fought to be an advocate for the Silicon Valley Education Foundation, it was only because there's a STEM program and the STEM program in San Jose or across the South Bay in the Silicon Valley is funded. And the funding is going to a school nearby that isn't far from uh, where I live. And I noticed that the representation of the students are students that are non-Latino, uh, Asian and, uh, and Indian, which are Asian as well, and their parents, you know, being from India, where education is much different as far as the journey, where right? I mentioned my parents with a third or fourth grade education, and many of these parents already have PhDs, mm-hmm. and they're in the STEM programs. My adv- advocacy hat came in to say, well, this isn't fair. We need to fight for pre-K STEM programs for the Latino kids, because if you don't show STEM and math and science from pre-K, kindergarten to third grade, then guess what? Just as the experience was for me, to ask for tutoring from my parents at third or fourth grade, it's not going to happen. And so it's going to be a struggle. So we really need the foundation from the schools to really fight for our kids, our kids of color.
1: Yeah, um, I so agree. I, I'm like looking forward to the day where some of these things are um, in place already. Do you find like um, in the leadership uh, summit or when people come to you, I guess at that point is probably a little bit different?
0: You know, that's a great point and observation. I find that I, I do have uh, data where it looks at individuals that are a lot like us that, you know, maybe first generation and that really fought through their education and were an outlier in math and science and did it on their own and had that unique situation. Whereas there's just a small sample size of individuals that were uh, second, third or fourth college educated where the foundation was there, you know, uh, generations and generations ago. So the common thread is really similar in terms of what you had mentioned. Hopefully we'll see change in the near future. I did do a posting just about an hour and a half ago, and a lot of folks are really liking that post because it's um, three minority women that uh, will represent uh, New Mexico, you know, and that was the power of a vote, right? And so with that, it really changes things because – it's a voice to the most powerful place in DC, on Capitol Hill, to help make changes. And so it really it really starts with making noise, not only making noise, but as John Lewis uh, says, get into good trouble, right? Because it really is important to be that rebel rousal, rouser. And I was at that Education Foundation meeting, and one of the guys who became a friend of mine He's white, but he looked at me and he gave me a thumbs up, and I said, "Wow, this guy's really cool, right?" And he invited me to lunch, and I realized, I said, "Well, what's going on?" He's like, "Well, I grew up in New York. You know, we're we're really about diversity in New York, and I really liked what you mentioned uh, here at the meeting because California and New York, you know, we really want to challenge that. So we just have to, you know, from coast to coast, bridge it." To the midwest which will be a very big challenge right
1: yeah
0: but as you had mentioned with 32 million eligible to vote and 60 million uh, latinos across this great land it will it will take time but it's going to happen we just have to continue the fight
1: yeah <clears throat> i'm a believer of it i have hope and you know i'm on i'm on that mission so i know that um I think we just can't let it not happen. You know, we have to just keep moving, you know, forward. And, and like someone said the other day, just link arms and, you know, we can work together towards making the progress that we need. So, uh, you know,
0: that's a yeah, that's a great point. And I love, like I said, the Café on Leadership title, because it reminds me when I was fortunate to speak in Colombia, my book was published also in 14 Latin American countries, and it was published in the largest publisher in Colombia is Grupo Norma. And I remember preparing for a presentation and I spoke with a Latino leader and he's like, just refer to me as a leader. He's like, in other words, the antecedent of a Latino leader, it wasn't really something that that he connected with because he just saw himself as a leader. And here in the U.S., we have to create that Latino leader, because it really until we're noticed all as American leaders, then yeah. it won't change. But hence, that's why I created the Silicon Valley Latino Leadership Summit, because we have to be uh, we have to be at the fight, showing our face, showing our strategic leadership, and really showing in numbers. And that's what. Uh, that's what's so important, and then down the road, will be known as just a leader.
1: Yeah, I love that. It's so true, and I and I've seen that uh, so many different, you know, things. It's like, why is it just that? You know, why can't we just be, you know, that the the one word we have to emphasize. Yes, you know that we're in there. Um, what is like one thing that um, when you were going with transitioning from your high school into, you know, school and and your Um, adult life? Like what is one thing or was there one thing that you wish you had to start your career or something that you wish um, was available to you as far as access or opportunity or people or resources?
0: I wish that my high school track and cross country coach was available to my life in the sixth grade Because if he was in my life in the sixth grade, then I would have been on a path to have applied to my dream school of Stanford or UC Berkeley. I went to San Jose State and I'm a very proud Spartan, but what I'm saying is that this person who invested in my life in high school was in the 10th grade. And so I love that I started at a junior college, but if it wasn't for him in high school, then it would have been even tougher and i know in backstage we talked about mentorship and mentorship is so important it is so key that it's a working relationship it really is a sustainable lifelong journey with the person that not only invests in you but you also have to put in the time to respect that person who's a uh, believe who really believes in you and so it's a it's a reciprocal uh leadership type of relationship. So if if I could uh, go back in time and have a wish, it would be for that mentor to have been in my sixth grade. But I'm just glad that uh, he came along somewhere along my journey and I was in high school.
1: That's wonderful. Um, that's great, that leads up to my next question, which is like, who was influential in your life? Um,
0: yeah, his, his name is uh, Paul Kilkenny and he he was in my 10th grade uh life where he saw that that i was excelling in running and i was really excited about being a competitor in running but my grades were slipping and ironically this is the ironic part so in the 10th grade you know we all have the guidance counselors and the guidance counselor i had was Mexican-American, just like me, first generation, and he had this case load that were primarily non-Latinos and he treated me as a person with little dreams. He mm-hmm. said, you know, Frank, you should uh, enroll in this, it was called CCOC, an occupational program. You could learn a trade. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I said, that's what my dad didn't want. You know, my dad worked really hard. My dad worked uh, in the industry of a cannery to, you know, farm working to a janitor. And so my dad says, Mijo, vasa, God, you're going to concentrate on your education. And so I challenged this guidance counselor and I said, hey, put me in an AP class, you know, in biology. And he's like, are you kidding me? He really said that until I saw my cross country coach on the side window walking by and I said, ask him. I remember saying, ask him. And he's like, who, Paul? I said, yeah. I said, he's uh, he's my cross country and track coach. He believes in me. And I said it just like that. And uh, he's like, no, no, no. And, and I said, no, no, better yet. I called Paul into the office. And so he placed me in his class. And from that point, uh, I believe it's so important when an adult, when you're a teen and vulnerable, believe in you. And from there, as I mentioned, I wasn't on the path to take that SAT. I wasn't prepared. So uh, Paul says, you know, just get some good grades, start at a junior college. And it started at a junior college and transferred to a four-year college. But I think that experience alone with Paul, really, uh, Mr. Kilkenny really changed my life, and he has been to five of the Silicon Valley Latino Leadership Summits, and I said, Iron- ironically, he's he's Irish. He's white, and so I always say he was a white guy with a brown heart because his wife is Latina,
1: <laughs> that's, that's-
0: <laughs> and so Paul is is um, someone I really cherish, you know, and, and I'm grateful to
1: that's wonderful to have somebody like that in your life to come and and, and be that for you. Um, what are um, I wanted to ask you when it comes to like planning and taking action? Because I know we talked a little bit about that. I know you have some of uh, some about that in 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 your book. Um, what is maybe some things that you do as a routine to really get you in the mindset? Or what are some good habits that you practice that maybe are. Um, something we should all be doing.
0: Yeah, that that's something that, you know, yeah, we all have our uh, goals and uh, things that motivate us in the morning. And I think it's important for me, I listen to uh, motivational uh, podcasts in the evening, and I know it's really uh, embedded to set fire in, in me to have uh, those dreams. Like last night, I listened to um, – Louis Farrakhan, and uh, he's an amazing speaker, and he was talking about COVID and uh, Trump. And I just think that his perspective was so inspiring. And then a few weeks ago, Denzel Washington, and and then Cesar Chavez. So those things in the evening I like to do before, you know, either reading or listening to before I uh, go to bed, and then in the morning, Exercise, I think, is important. It really uh, helps uh, not only release some stress, but it it clears your mind and uh, keeps you away from the busyness and just staying focused and staying in your lane for that form of exercise. And then when you get uh, to work, it really is about being passionate, not only passionate, but having a purpose uh, for, for whatever a person Not only dreams of but has envisioned within their grasp i think all of us are capable of being successful at our own craft but you really have to work on it and it it's not easy it's not easy i'm not going to say a a craft of your specialty is going to be easy but if you have passion for it it makes it a lot easier but you have to be consistent so, consistent with things that relieve stress and excite you, and consistent with challenging things that are going to make you understand that you're going to have ups and downs within that framework of your passion.
1: I love that. Yes. I mean, like some people want, like they make, do something and they want an immediate change. It's the consistency of doing that thing that's going to bring change. So that's right. I love- that that you mentioned that. Now, one thing that you also do for excitement that I see on LinkedIn all the time is you break dancing and doing those pop and lock moves. Right,
0: <laughs> right, right. And you're you're from the East Coast. So uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Tony Tejerino is uh, friends with crazy legs, who was one of the inventors of breakdancing, yeah. you know, and on the East Coast. So for me, uh, it really stemmed, as I'd mentioned, I grew up in a barrio where it was either choose a gang or choose uh, the breakdance and be part of a, a crew, they called it. And so I felt um, years later, I'm 51, and many years and decades later, I, um, under COVID-19 and this pandemic, it's uh, just to release some stress for others and be, uh, be an entertainer in that sense because I feel uh, it, I'm having fun when I'm dancing and I'm popping. Because that's what I was very passionate about. And I'm passionate about it today when I listen to certain songs like Planet Rock and uh, Egyptian Lover. And, and it's something that really makes me feel that I'm at ease. Because we're all under stressful times under this uh, pandemic. But we all have to choose ways to not only entertain ourselves, but others. Because, you know, it really is important.
1: Yeah, I love it. Frank, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. I'm just so excited for all of the wonderful nuggets that you have dropped. Um, before we go, I want to ask you what is like leadership advice that you would give to somebody listening right now? Um, that could maybe help them become a better leader. I know we talked about some morning habits and we talked about some mindset, um, but maybe even if it's reiterating some of that, that, some of that stuff. But what is something that could really shift somebody in thinking? I have the potential, but I also have the responsibility to stand up and, and take action and do something.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to choose within your. Within your group, choose a certain amount of folks that you feel you could reach out to. And if you feel that you want to start something as far as an initiative or a business, you have a circle. of I like to say a circle of five and a circle of five people that you could confide in. And leadership really starts with not only responsibility, but being accountable. So being accountable is one of the most important Elements for leadership. And what I mean by that is if you're going to reach out, don't reach out just because you have an idea. Reach out because you're going to be accountable. And as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, consistent with your your leadership. And leadership is a principle that I learned early on that is sustainable and that never dies. Leadership will be with us when we leave this earth leadership started thousands and thousands of years ago. And, uh, I like to say, if you have it in your heart, lead like Jesus.
1: I love that. That is so beautiful and so wonderful. And that is such a powerful nugget. The accountability portion is immensely sometimes mostly forgotten. Um, so that's, I thank you so much for that. Um, It's been such a pleasure. I mean, I feel like I can go on for another hour because there's just so much more that I want to pull out of you. I'm sure there's going to be more opportunities, hopefully down the line that we can uh, kind of do things together. Um, Before we leave, how can somebody purchase your book or connect with you? Yeah,
0: so it would be uh, Amazon. Amazon, and if they type in Building the Latino Future, my book pops up. And if they uh, need to email me, it's Frank at Estiempo, estiemp And if they'd like to see my background, it's Estiempo.com. Or the Silicon Valley Latino Leadership Summit, dot SVLLS, com. Awesome. And then LinkedIn, Frank Carball.
1: Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Frank. You have been such a wonderful guest. Stay on for one more second um thank you guys and catch us for our next episode on cafe con leadership take care
0: Thank, thank you all